This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 126 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. When we talk about threat intelligence, we often put it in the context of bringing information to the surface, creating context and alerts to let you know what you need to be concerned with. We also speak of cutting through the noise, of pulling the signal out and transforming it into actionable intelligence. Our guest today is Andrew Morris. He's CEO of Gray Noise Intelligence, a company that describes itself as anti-threat intelligence, which is not to say they're against threat intelligence, quite the opposite, in fact. But instead of focusing on what should keep you up at night, Andrew Morris and his team analyze the background noise of the Internet to determine what you don't need to worry about. It's a unique approach, perhaps a bit counterintuitive at first, but ultimately, they say, it helps you filter out useless noise and focus your time and resources on what really matters. Stay with us. I've been in cybersecurity for, mm, so working in cybersecurity professionally since 2011, so for the past eight years, Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've been involved in cybersecurity since I was pretty young, since before it was even really, you know, an industry, since I was pretty young, I got into computer hacking when I was a a preteen, so I've been doing it since then. When I was, uh, I don't know, maybe 18-ish, I got my first job in cybersecurity as a uh, pen tester for a medium-sized consulting company, doing a little bit of government work, a little bit of private sector work, all always in offense, um, just doing security assessments. And then um, from there, I went to another security consulting shop that was a little bit more specialized, a little bit more boutique, um, did the same thing for a couple of years, and then um, went over to Endgame, where I worked on the R&D team for the next uh, about three years. And then I left Endgame to start Gray Noise, and that was about two years ago. So I uh, founded Gray Noise about this time two years ago. Hmm. And, and what was the motivation? What was the impulse to uh, to make you decide that starting Gray Noise was where you wanted to go? I always knew I wanted to start a company. I have no idea why, but I always knew in like the bottom of my heart that I was going to start a company. I didn't know what the company was going to be or how I was going to do it or anything like that. But I mean, since I was probably a teenager, I knew I was going to start a company. Um, And then I think once I had already swallowed that reality, it became like, cool, what's my company going to do? And so I've been super, super fascinated by the Internet background noise problem or the concept of Internet background noise uh, for years now. And it's just a fun, unexplored frontier in cybersecurity. And I could see, you know, that problem was starting to grow a little bit. And so uh, over the years, I just kept waiting for someone to start the company that was, you know, doing what we're doing now. I wasn't seeing it. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to leave and I'm going to start the company myself. Hmm. Well, uh, let's explore that a little bit together. Uh, What uh, what exactly do you mean when you say Internet background noise? Um, The concept of Internet background noise uh, at a technical level. Well, we'll start at at the highest level humanly possible. Internet background noise is basically all of the traffic that's hitting everybody omnidirectionally on the entire Internet that's generated by people broadly scanning and crawling the Internet. So it's people that are hitting every single IP address on the whole internet looking for something, 
right? And so when you, at a technical level, when you, you know, uh, attach a device to the internet directly onto the internet so that it's completely routable and you look at like a packet sniffer like tcp dump or wireshark or something like that even though you haven't advertised the system to anyone yet you're going to see a lot of unsolicited you know scan traffic coming in from ip addresses all around the all around the world and you're like what is this i haven't even told anybody that this system exists yet like how could people already try to be communicating with it and that's because it's the combination of scanners, search engines, good guys, bad guys that are constantly scanning and probing the entire Internet. And that is Internet background noise. Now, help me understand the, the difference between something like that and, say, I, I guess I'm thinking um, of like radio spectrum. You know, if the, all, all the all the RF energy that is the stations that I'm not tuned to um, that's still out there all the time. Um, how does that differ from what we're talking about with this internet version of background noise? That's a good question. So the I would say that the difference is that it's not really noise, uh, and it's not it's not noise in the conventional electrical engineering perspective or the electrical engineering definition of noise. Hmm. Um, it is still uh, in certain ways directed. It's just directed in four point two billion directions at the same time. So at a technical level, and I think I'm splitting hairs a little bit, but I would say that internet background noise as a term is probably the most accurate term used that's or accurate metaphor for the concept of internet background noise. But it's it's a nice it's a nice phrase and a nice metaphor. But really all we're talking about is, you know, untargeted internet traffic or omnidirectional internet traffic. So it's just shooting in every possible direction. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think so. It really just casting that that wide net. Uh, exactly. Seeing seeing what you're going to grab rather than, I don't know, use a fishing metaphor, casting a line, you know, to try to hit specifically under that log that's uh, out there in the middle of the pond. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does this affect us, um, you know, day to day for folks who are out there trying to use the internet in positive ways, what's the effect on us? You want to know how does internet background noise affect regular day-to-day internet users? Correct. Correct. I'd say Uh, individual users, but also on an enterprise level. Okay. So I would say individual users, it doesn't really affect you at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just normal, regular internet users, people browsing the internet. It doesn't affect you really almost at all. Um, For the enterprise, it absolutely affects you. And the reason for that is, you know, especially in in the cybersecurity, in a SOC, in a security operations center, uh, or as a network defender, or as a network analyst, or as a sysadmin, or as a, you know, uh, blue teamer, or something like that. I mean, any, almost any network related cybersecurity, or even just ops position, it's going to affect you in the enterprise, because... Uh, quite simply, internet background noise, when you're looking at it from the perspective of one individual device on the internet, is negligible. But when you're looking at the amount of internet background noise that hits someone who may own hundreds of thousands of IP addresses that are facing the internet or millions of IP addresses that are facing the internet, if you own like a, tr- a very large network and you have a tremendous perimeter, that's when it's really going to start to add up. And you're going to start to have hundreds th- or even thousands of uh, alerts or you know log like you know lines of logs that are generated by internet background noise and that's when it's going to actually start really interfering with your it's going to start interfering with your day-to-day security operations in a pretty meaningful way 
I see. Right, because if you're logging every single one of those attempts to uh, interact with your systems, and most of those are random and meaningless, it's going to be harder for you to to um, to notice the ones that uh, need your attention. That's exactly right. So that's that's a good point. Uh, there are, you know, if you're trying to log everything and then you're trying to look and figure out what is hitting everyone versus what is just hitting me, what's important, then that makes it makes it really difficult from that position. Um, even if you're not logging everything, though, like even if you are just logging, you know, I would say like if you have like an IDS, right, an intrusion detection system, or if you're like doing threat hunting or something like that, it can actually still be relevant to you. Because if you if you find out that a device was compromised on your perimeter, you, maybe an IoT device, or if you find out that something gets infected with a piece of ransomware that spreads opportunistically or like a crypto miner or something like that, then you may you may start to freak out in your in your triage and in your investigation. And so that's not even again, we're we're well past that being a I'm logging everything. This is a post fail situation now. So this is like, hey, we have a device that was compromised. Oh, my God, I'm freaking out. What do I do Um, to be able to have that insight onto? Well, yes, it was compromised and that is really bad, but it was compromised by this botnet that's using commodity exploits and it's not targeted to you or your vertical. It's actually targeting everybody on the entire Internet. So it's not that bad. You know, I mean, like it's it's actually a lot better than it could be. It was not a targeted attack. Does that make sense? It does. It's it's a really interesting uh, thing to think about. And so what specifically are you addressing here um, with the company itself? What What is the service you're providing? So the shortest answer I can possibly give you is we're, we're providing context to our customers and we're providing negative ground truth in a big way, which means, you know, you have a security operations center. It's busy. You have too many alerts. And some of those alerts don't matter that much. So we're going to tell you, instead of telling you which things that you definitely need to freak out about, we're just going to tell you what 10 or 20% of things you definitely don't need to worry about. That's it. That's all we do. Hmm. And so for someone who is consuming threat intelligence, um, how does this fit into that spectrum of, of things that are coming in? I would say that we augment other threat intelligence really, really well. Conventionally, what what you might do is you might ask a question like, show me all of the indicators that are pointing to an asset that belongs to me. Or you may do something like, show me all of the uh, devices that are scanning or probing me or that have fired in a IDS alert today. And you may say that are also in one of these 10 feeds. So that's really useful for you to know. But with, with gray noise, what we would let you do is you ask questions like, okay, now that you've showed me all of the things that have alerted me today that are also in one of these feeds, or even that are in one of these feeds that haven't alerted me today, your follow-up question might be great. Now, let me see all of the ones that are, let, let me subtract out all of the you know lines or events or alerts or whatever that are hitting everyone on the entire internet. So I can only see the things that are just hitting me. Does that make sense? It does. And it seems to me as though um, in some ways it aligns with this move we've seen, this this momentum we've seen towards um, risk-based assessments. Particularly, we hear this in the boardroom and, and so forth, that uh, people are 
taking more of a business centric approach to de- determining where to where to spend their money, how to uh, how to spend their time. Um, what you're describing here seems to really connect with that. I, I agree with everything that you just said, and I think to add on to that. In order to provide value from a threat intelligence perspective, I think that there's a ton of value to be added doing what all of the threat intelligence organizations, like providers do conventionally. You know, here are things that you should consider working about. Here's additional insights into that thing that you wanted to know about. Um, I think it's super valuable. Um, but I also think that there's a lot of value in approaching it from the exact opposite, um, exact opposite perspective. The way that uh, I think a lot of threat intelligence providers provide value Uh, is to say there's a bad thing that you don't want to happen and we're going to help you we're going to help you have that bad thing not happen and that bad thing is going to cost you an unknowable amount of money but probably a lot like enough that you should be worried right and so we're doing our best to provide you with insights that are going to prevent this bad thing from happening and all of the cumulative bad things that you've prevented from happening in some unknowable dollar value dollar amount uh, that you can add up, that's your you know your cost savings for buying our products, which I think is great. You know, do that. That's totally fine. That's just not even that's not how we think about the problem at all. The way that we provide value is, okay, you have this many alerts or events per day that make it to an analyst, right? And of those, um, you know, I would say of those, ten percent of them, you don't really need to worry about. They're like not, they're just not a big deal. They're hitting everybody. No one should be looking at them. So what's your average analyst, you know, what's your average event or ticket time to close or incident time to close or incident time to triage? What's your average time to do that? Is it 30 minutes, five minutes, an hour, whatever? And then how many of those things are actually covered? How many of those things are contextualized and filtered uh, by gray noise? Oh, it's, you know, 5%, 10%. Okay, like multiply that together to figure out like, great, like this is the amount of things we don't really need to look at. Like, that's great. That's fantastic. That's where we provide value to organizations. It's in a completely reductive context. And that's our, uh, that's the way that we prove value. I I think that we're really, uh, we complementary in that way, but we just hmm. think about our value proposition in a completely different way from other threat intelligence uh, providers. Does that make sense? It does. Help me understand um, this notion that because something may be attacking everyone um, rather than someone specifically, how that aligns with the seriousness of it. Yeah, that's a really good question, because to your point, there may be things that are attacking everyone that you should care about, right? Mm-hmm. So right. so I would say that basically um, the reason that we provide value is that unless you know who's hitting everyone and who's only hitting you, uh, you have to assume every everything is only hitting you. And so it's just overwhelming. And so I would say that when one is thinking about the idea of seriousness or, you know, how much how seriously to take an incident, um, I do not think that the only data point to feed into that should be directionality or targetedness, right? But I do think that it is an extremely important factor that should be taken into consideration. That having been said, if something is hitting everyone and it affects you and you are compromised by that thing, like that's a big deal. But right. at that but at that point, you have way bigger problems than buying threat intelligence feeds. Like you were just impacted by a commodity vulnerability, you know, 
patch your stuff. Like you have you have a much bigger problem than thinking about the maturity of your threat intelligence program. Like you need to spend time and energy and resources in making sure that your perimeter can at least handle the commodity bottom of the barrel attacks that are hitting everybody on the entire internet, right? Like at very least that's where you need to focus. Mm-hmm. So if I were an, on like a sales call and someone came to me and said, hey, Andrew, like, you know, we, we really want to use gray noise to figure out when our devices get compromised, uh, which ones are directed compromises and which ones are, are undirected compromises. I would probably say like, hey, that's awesome. Uh, maybe invest those dollars over here and not on us yet. And let's talk again in six months. In terms of the background noise itself, what do you see in the future? Is this a a problem that you anticipate is going to get worse? Do you think we're going to have um, technologies or techniques to, to do better with it? Where do you think we're going? That's a good question. I think that it is going to continue trending in the way that it has over the past few years to a decade, which is to say that from a volume perspective, it's certainly going to increase. What does that mean for you know security professionals and enterprise security professionals? I think that that just means that figuring out the attacks that matter is going to get a little bit harder. I think that strictly from the lens of internet background noise, I think that because there are so many people attacking systems opportunistically now, I think that it's just going to be, I think that it's just going to be something that more and more people have to start thinking about um, over the next few years because you, you know, you'll burn yourself out if you ha- if you sound the alarm over every single bad thing that happens i have to wonder are we are we headed towards a reality where the noise is getting so noisy that it's it's harder and harder to have signal uh yeah i mean i think that that's where we are right now hmm so i mean i absolutely think so and i i, I don't think that's in the future i think that's today i mean yeah. so the other like the i think another interesting thing to think about is like what is the noise what even let's not even think about like you know noise from a from an operational perspective and from a, an efficiency perspective i mean i think at this point it's like let's start thinking about the weaponization and automi- automation um timeline for vulnerabilities as they're announced i think the things that would that really affect people the most there is like you know once a vulnerability has been weaponized or once a vulnerability has been announced how long until it becomes the abs- it be- before it becomes completely automated and weaponized in a completely opportunistic botnet or something like that right like that's something that affects everybody well and and i can't help wondering uh, about how are the bad guys out there are, are they using the noise to their advantage are they using the noise oh, yeah. as as camouflage <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I would say that, like, that's going to be your APT stuff. Um, Like we think, I mean, I think about that all the time. That's like nightmare fuel for me is like Mm -hmm. thinking about gray noise, telling somebody not to worry about something, but then it actually totally being something that they should totally worry about. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's horrifying from my perspective. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, yeah, that's that's it's 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 not something that I have observed happen firsthand yet where I'm 100% sure that it has happened, I am acutely aware that it is a thing that has been done before and that certain actors do. And if I was, you know, a big, scary, bad guy, I would certainly want to do that. Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, uh, do bad guys do that? Yeah. But it's the same bad guys that are, like, doing other super ultra sneaky stuff 
that have high budgets and that are, you know, th- that is kind of the boogeyman bad guy. It's not all of them. And it definitely isn't going to impact most people. I would say that it impacts the same people that that already have APTs in their threat model. Right, right. If this is something that's going to potentially impact you, chances are you know it. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, the way that I like everybody has things that they tell themselves to sleep at night. And one of the things (laughs) that I tell myself to sleep at night is just because people bypass antivirus right now does not mean that antivirus is a thing that doesn't and hasn't provided an an incredible amount of value over the past, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, right? 10, 20 years, right? Like, yeah, yeah, AV has provided a a massive amount of value. Sometimes it's, you know, it's bypassed, right? And so then, uh, you know, what is the philosophical way to think about being the provider of a tool that is providing a sense of security to somebody and then it's subverted and then they do that thing even though you you were you know telling all your customers hey like we're here to protect this one thing like like that's it this is this isn't new to us people have been addressing this for years honestly like my my prognosis of this is just that internet background noise is like a really specific thing and i think it's a problem to be solved and i think that it's not you know we're not curing cyber cancer we're, you know, helping make security operation centers incrementally more efficient and illuminating context where there was none before. That's all we do. You know, the way that I would think about gray noise is like, hey, this is like a cool thing that is solving this problem that makes my life better. That's what we think about. And that's what we want to keep doing. We're, we're going to provide context where there was none or was little before. And that's that's what we're going to do. Our thanks to Andrew Morris from Gray Noise Intelligence for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.